I'll be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 40, from the NIV version. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. This is the word of the Lord. You're dismissed. Thank you so much, Emily. Just beautiful. Uh, All of you, thank you for the great music. Keith, Gramps, I'm sorry. Uh, It's a grandpa, you know. Well, this is the fourth in a series called A Different Kind of Christmas. It's based on the book by Mike Slaughter. It's actually inspired by an earlier book that Mike wrote entitled Christmas is Not Your Birthday. And this morning, as I've been doing, I'm taking the title from the beginning of each chapter, as many of you have been working through this book yourself. Children have, youth have, college, some adult classes through Sunday school class. And so we're talking about Jesus' wish list this morning. Years ago when I was at Crescent Hill Baptist Church and worked with the youth some while I was in seminary, I remember asking youth one evening during Advent, you know, what do you think Jesus would want for Christmas And I got, you know, first of all, the standard answer I thought that I would hear, which was peace on earth, which really is a good answer when you think about it. Uh, I said again, is there anything else you can think of that Jesus would want for Christmas? And one of them said, a vacation, which I thought was good. He needs a break from all these demands. And later on, one of of the clever ones said, well, what do you give to the guy who has everything? But that launched us into a deeper talk, because does Jesus have everything that he wants? Well, it took us back to the original statement of peace on earth. We clearly don't have that in many ways, and no doubt Jesus desires that for us. And I want to talk about that this morning, what Jesus wants from us for his birthday. What is on his wish list, and what does he want most from us? Well, let's begin with Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. This is a passage that, as you know, later on in the Gospels, it's recorded that Jesus read this very passage at the outset of his ministry. really was, in a sense, as many say, his mission statement. But then, as Mike Slaughter says, I'd never thought about it this way, but it's also his wish list. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to do what? Bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's his wish list. 
It seems abundantly clear what it is. With that, I want to offer a strange proposal this morning. I don't mean this 100%, but I do mean this in a way. And I hope we'll look at this through some fresh lenses. What I want to say is Jesus doesn't want you to help people. He doesn't just want you to help people. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, Jesus doesn't want us to help people. He wants us to help him. If you go back just a few pages from Isaiah 61, go back to Isaiah 58, look at verses 6 and 7. Look at what it says. No, this is the kind of fasting I want. In other words, this is the kind of ministry I want you Hebrews to be doing. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Now that sounds maybe like an echo of Isaiah 61, but most scholars believe that this is the passage that Jesus himself had in mind when he came up with the parable of the what? Sheep and the goats, Matthew 25. Look at it closely and you see echoes of it in there. I was hungry and you what? Fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you came and visited me. And how does Jesus close that parable on behalf of the sheep who get to join the king at the kingdom? I learned it this way. Inasmuch as you have done it to the what? Least of these, you have done it unto me. You've done it unto me. Jesus just doesn't want us to help people. He wants us to help him. I loved uh, the devotional, the meditation that, that Keith offered earlier on about seeing people through gospel eyes, seeing Jesus in that person, no matter who they are, whether or not they're a Christian, seeing Jesus in there. Because when we are helping people in the name of Jesus, we are seeing Jesus standing in front of us. When we help that person, the person we're helping is Jesus. You know, when we just, when we just help people, it's, it's humanitarian work, and that's great. But when you just help people, it often means separating ourselves off from them, still maintaining a distance from them, not really investing in them. And it really seems to be a two-way thing. You know, among the sheep, not the goats, but the sheep, those who are giving also can be given too. And you know what I'm talking about there. It's, it really is reciprocal, even if it doesn't seem like it, because when you give, you are so blessed by what you are giving, and you are blessed back, and you know that. Any of you who have ministered, been on a mission trip, know what I'm talking about. You help that person as if he or she is Jesus himself. That's what Jesus is saying. The ones who really were rewarded in the end of that parable, the ones who entered into relationship with people, functioning as a group, the sheep function as a group. I can't help but think of Truvine, right? And again, I think of how blessed we were at that thanks gathering over there at that church, those of us who were able to attend, or I loved the, uh, uh, the, the uh, choir uh, musical that we had uh, the other night, and a lot of Truvine people were here, and I just love that. And again, it's all the sheep together and ministering in Christ's name in that manner. And you can think of someone a- away from Truvine. It could be uh, Gontam or Badrak and his family in Mongolia who we have ministered to them richly, but my goodness, haven't they ministered to us? Or ministers you know in Rio when you've been down there, or people with living hope at South Africa when you've been there, or some of these local 
ministries, and you get to know the people there, whether it's the homeless folks there or the people who are serving the food or the chaplains, whoever it might be, and you're so blessed, and we're all in that together. But again, don't just help them. Again, in a way that places us up here and them down here. No, invest in them, engage with them. That's what Jesus wants us to do, and when we do that, we're ministering to him. We're engaging with him. Serving him when we do just that. Now, secondly, Jesus doesn't want us to just help people. He wants us to help them in his name. And I know I've talked about this before, and I'm really saying we want to proclaim his name. Not just help them, but to proclaim his name, to help them in his name. Now, let's get fast forward from uh, uh, Isaiah 61 to uh, the Gospels. We'll, We'll read the one from Luke, where Luke says in Luke 4, 20 and 21, Jesus, this is right after he read from Isaiah 61. He has called upon me to bring good news to the poor and so on. And he says he, it says he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Back then, usually the rabbi or the reader sat when he preached. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. And what Jesus is saying is, I am the fulfillment of all of this. Now you get the word out about this. Get the word out to others. In other words, you have to proclaim. There's, there's this proclamatory element of sharing the gospel. I know you hear people say talk is cheap, but action without words, as far as the gospel goes, cheapens the gospel. Yeah, I know, you know, don't just talk the talk, walk the walk, but still talk it as well. I've thought about this a lot, and I know I've mentioned recently about you know, what the Celtics call the thin places, where you have such holy moments, such wonderful mountaintop experiences, spiritual experiences, and those thin places are what the Celtics say are, are those places where heaven and earth come really close together. And I talked about that thanks gathering at Truvine or that choir musical, or gosh, with the music this morning, I was taken to a thinner place right there, and there's less separation between earth and heaven And this is what I started thinking just this past week. I wonder if in some way, shape, or form, those who are in heaven, when it gets really thin like that, I wonder if they are listening to us, or put better, listening for us to see if we are proclaiming the gospel as we should. Let's go back to Mark chapter 4 for just a second. I want to go back and look at this. Because this is what Jesus says we should do as a result of his being the fulfillment of this. Look at that highlighted word there. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Yes, we are called to get out there and do the gospel. But we are at the same time called to verbalize it. Now let's get back to the thin places here. Because I can't help but wonder... If they're listening for us to see however boldly or however subtly, however uh, loudly or however quietly we are verbalizing the gospel to people. I really think it's that way. You know, N.T. Wright, uh, in his wonderful books, Simply Christian and, and Surprised by Hope, talks about his theology of heaven. And, and I really think he's right with this. He says there's three approaches you can have to how uh, heaven and earth relate. Uh, one would be that they really are more or less the same, that heaven and earth are more or less the same. You take that to its logical end and you get into pantheism, which we don't believe in. Just trust me on that. Or it could be that heaven and earth are really vastly separated from each other. And heaven is this 
long distance you know, destination that we get to after we die, and we're kind of catapulted way over there, wherever it is, and they're really far apart. Really, that can take you to the logical end of deism, and I don't have time to talk about all that, but I agree with N.T. Wright, and I think this is the biblical perspective. He says the third alternative is the right alternative, and to, to borrow the words of N.T. Wright, he says, I believe that heaven and earth are interlocking and overlapping. I think he's exactly right. They are separate from each other, and we need to know Christ in order to get to heaven. But I do agree, it it plays right into this idea of the Celtic thin places, that heaven is closer to us than we might realize. And when we have these wonderful spiritual moments, it's a foretaste of that which is a little bit closer to us. And I say all that to say, and maybe I'm conjecturing, but I can't help but wonder if Sometimes in those thin places, those places that are interlocking and overlapping, angels and those who have gone on, and maybe even Jesus himself are are listening to see if we are verbalizing about who he is to people in the world. I wonder about that. And I wonder if we're aiming it in the direction that we need to aim it, because oftentimes it's a whole lot easier just to aim it amongst ourselves, isn't it? To talk Jesus talk, to talk church talk, to talk salvation talk, with one another, instead of getting it out there, a number of years ago I was called to jury duty, and you know how much fun that is, and I never had to sit on a jury, but for three days I was down there at the courthouse and everything, and wound up, you know, you kind of gravitate to people while you're there, and uh, there were about nine of us that kind of started getting to know each other, and it all wound up that we just happened to be Christians, and we were talking about our different churches and everything, what we loved about them and everything talked about that, and I think it was the second day we all decided to walk uh, over uh, near Lynn Park there to go to lunch somewhere, and I'll never forget, we were walking by uh, Lynn Park, how many of y'all have been to Lynn Park? Lynn Park? Okay, a lot of us, and we were walking up the street there, and I'll never forget this because there was this real shiny, happy group of people with microphones and these speakers that weren't working great, but they were, they were singing, singing Christian songs. And they were facing us. You know, we're walking up the street. They're across at at the curb there of Lynn Park. And they're singing and they're smiling and they're happy about Jesus and everything. That's great. But what was an interesting scenario was to look just behind them. Because back behind them, sprawled out on the lawn there of Lynn Park, were a lot of homeless people, clearly some addictive people there. uh, People who could have used the help. And I'll never forget that striking vision of seeing them. And they were facing us. And to me, in a way, it was like singing to the choir, preaching to the choir, and they were waving at us like, hey, great. And they kept singing and everything. And you just wanted to say, you know, look behind you there. And again, maybe we needed to hear it. Maybe I needed to hear it because it taught me a lesson. I remember we went to eat to where we, we were still within eye shot of the people, and, and, and they sang, and then the guy even offered a devotional. I don't know if it was the pastor or who, but he offered it in our direction. And then they got their cars and left. <laughs> I'll never forget that. There were the people back there. And it was a helpful image to me to remember sometimes you have to turn around and really verbalize it to people who need it. And yes, help them in concrete, tangible ways, but verbalize it there. And I know we've talked about this before. That's more awkward, but we're called to be awkward out there. We're supposed to be foolish for the sake of Christ, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Again, it's up to us not just to go out and help but we need to say something. You know, you minister to them, Harold Cannon, and, and, and after you do something for somebody, what is it you say? You say, what? Do you know why? Do you know why I'm here? 
do you know why I'm here? And then you tell them. You tell them. How will they hear without someone to do that? And we're called to do that. So he doesn't just want us to help people. He wants us to help in his name. And by that I mean to confess his name. But thirdly, let me get to this. Jesus doesn't want us to just help people. He wants us to sacrifice as he did. Mere helping. When you help people, you're still in control and it can kind of leave you unchanged. Jesus wants you to get out there and get into some awkward situations and be changed, transformed by them. You know, Scripture says he wants us to sacrifice and yield over to him, even when it's not the most comfortable thing to do. And if you think the gospel and church life is all about comfort, you've joined the wrong team. Can I just say that? I like the way John MacArthur puts it so succinctly. He says the true gospel is a call to self-denial. It is not a call to self-fulfillment. If your primary motive for being here is self-fulfillment, forget about it. Go elsewhere. But let me take it a step further because the good news is really, I think, the only true means, authentic means, ultimate means to self-fulfillment is by self-denial. Matthew 16, 25 says what? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will what? Find it. Will find it. And when we do that, and when we truly sacrifice ourselves and let ourselves be crucified with Christ, I think that's when people really see the living Christ in us. Galatians 2.20, what is it? I have been crucified with Christ. I have sacrificed on his behalf, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me because he did that. I can give of myself on behalf of these others whom I need to view as Jesus himself. And that's what we need to do is is think about sacrifice. Uh, The quarterly business meeting uh, last Wednesday, Greg Womack shared about the church in Logan, Ohio, where we built a church for them, 08, what was it, in 08, Lawrence, got it. And and, uh, that church had been around, it was founded in 1837, and uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church, and and, uh, they, they were already maxing out again, and they asked for help. <clears throat> from Lawrence and others with Builders for Christ to go and help out. and th- So they had a big fundraiser at the church. Well, they didn't quite raise the amount that they were hoping for, but, of course, people on this end said, hey, no, we'll still come up and do some stuff and help you. We'll get it done. We will get this done. And the leaders of that church came back to us, to the, to the Builders for Christ people, and said, you know what? Because we didn't reach that mark, we feel led to just not worry about that, and we're going to use this money for something else we can squeeze into our classes we can open up closets and have Sunday school in those places if we have to Uh, but we're going to give that money to mission work so I think it was so cool and and I think even uh, the pastor of that church uh, soon thereafter took a group overseas and just decided that's what they were called to do with that they were willing to sacrifice I think when you do something like that you are fulfilling Jesus's wish list So you and I need to get out there. You know, we come here to church, why? Number one, to glorify God, to glorify God. And secondly, to equip ourselves and prepare ourselves to get back out there. Now, I know you know that, but how often do we actually do that, prepared both mentally and verbally and, yes, physically to help out there? How often do we prepare ourselves, though, and then don't don't do anything? Years ago, I heard a college preacher say, you know, God can't steer a parked car. And I'll always forget that because I thought, yeah, he's right. You know, you can gas up a car, 
get the oil changed and, and cleaned up and everything. You can get the GPS ready. And what's the point then of just leaving it in the garage? We come here to be equipped in order to go out there. And it should be our second nature. One other thing that Larry Dennis said at the quarterly business meeting, which I appreciated, he said one of our big goals this year is for just for us to weave even more into the consciousness of Brookwood Baptist Church that mission should be second nature to us. It should just be automatic, involuntary, who we are. It's our very essence. I think he's exactly right. Who's an example of somebody who gets out there? Well, I think of Luke 14, 418, rather, Luke 418. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Now, each, each week I've invited us to, to give above and beyond what we'd be giving normally to the church and, and to give uh, in some way because it's Jesus' birthday coming up. And a few weeks ago we highlighted the David Foreman Scholarship and then it was 1040 Connections. Uh, last week it was Backpack Buddies. And I have asked Gil Franks to come up here and talk about his wonderful ministry that he gives so much to and really sacrifices on its behalf uh, lives in a way that he's really focused on helping that out. And uh, I, I really want, he didn't want to do this, but I want to do I want to figure out how we can help if we want to. Gil, where are you? If you can come on up and talk about LifeLink. And uh, this is a marvelous ministry that he undertakes. Thank you. Good morning. You know, uh, you just uh, shared the scriptures I had, so it's going to save me some time. Uh, I can get up and talk about all the statistics. For example, there's 29,000 men and women currently incarcerated in the state of Alabama. Uh, 90% of those men and women will be returning home sometime in the next several years. Approximately 30% of that group will return back to prison. 2,500 of those men and women will be coming back to Jefferson County. I can get up and talk about the father of prison reform, uh, John Howard, how he stated that these men should be viewed at as God's people, that lives are being wasted in prison unless we move to rehabilitation and move away from punishment. I can talk about how two weeks ago Governor Bentley and Commissioner Dunn met with a group of nonprofits and churches and stated that the state of Alabama does not have the money to help with rehabilitation. They only have the money to help with security. And that it's the job of the churches and the nonprofits to provide rehabilitation. Now, I can talk about what LifeLink has been doing in Bibb County Correctional Facility, but that's on an insert in here that y'all can go and get a snapshot of what we do, how we work with these men providing opportunities to invest in, in and build transformational capital in them. But what I really want to do is talk about these men because I have found out, as, as uh, he was just, Jim was just talking about, there are those thin places. And Bibb Correctional Facility is a thin place that has become a mission field for us because when you go and face these men on a daily basis, like we do, you get that opportunity to visit those thin places. You get the opportunity to put names on all those statistics, and you get the opportunity to put a face with those statistics, which makes all the difference in the world because that's what missions is about, is about it becoming personal. Uh, when we go every day, and we're there four days a week, 
I have an office right in the middle of one of the dorms at the prison, and we spend all day with them. Bobby Austin is currently volunteering, going down there, working with us as an instructor. Wallace Haynes, who goes here. Uh, Wallace spent uh, last week, I know, talking to a Wiccan and getting to share with him his faith, our faith. And see, when we're face-to-face with these men, we have the opportunity for them to get to see Jesus by example through us. We can't do that if we send something. We can do that when we go. We become the face, the voice, and the example. And that's what these men share with us all the time is that y'all are the first men in our lives who have been true examples and true models for us. Uh, Some of these men you see right here are in one of our roundtable classes. Uh, The gentleman right there on the screen right there, Mr. Bush, has been released from prison. Uh, He spent 25 years in prison. But he gave his life to Jesus, and Jesus changed his life, and now he's on the outside living a successful, productive life. Uh, I could talk about another young man that's just come recently into our group named Eric. Eric is 20 years old. He's been in custody of the state of Alabama since he was seven years old, either in foster care or Hillcrest. And now he's in a state prison. And they have given him to us so that another gentleman that's been in prison for 30 years can protect him and watch over him. I can talk about Mr. Morrison, who's been in prison for 24 years, who we just now have worked out a home plan, and he'll be going home in in, uh, January. I can talk about a man named Mr. Dates, who was in prison for 28 years. I just got information about last week, probably in the next 30 to 60 days, he will be moving into his own house, and he has his own income set up. And then I can talk about a gentleman that we're getting ready to have a picture of here named A.J., who was in prison, as he always told me, 24 years in six months. That's A.J. right there punching the time clock for his first day at work in 25 years. A.J. got out right before Christmas and was able to share Christmas, I mean, uh, Thanksgiving, was able to share Thanksgiving prayer with his family for the first time in 25 years. What he shared with me as we helped him through this transitional process was, I wasted 25 years of my life living for the devil on drugs. I spent 25 years of my life paying for it, and now I'm going to take the next 25 years of my life and give back to help others. We have the opportunity to find these thin places. What we need is help to help do this. Uh, We have a program that's a partnership with the state of Alabama, but it, it it, it requires a lot of help for us to move forward. They've asked us to take on another 60 men coming up in January, and then by next year, uh, probably in the fall, we'll be looking at another 60. There's information on here on how you can help. One, you can volunteer. You can come go with us. You can contact me. You uh, You can give to help us support this. And most important, you can pray because this is a, a, a situation where daily we face obstacles, we face opposition, and the prayer support is very necessary. Brookwood has helped us over the past three years get to the place where we are now, but it's time to grow and do even more. Thank you so much. You know, ministries like Gill's reminds me that no one is outside the reach of God's grasp. Are you with me on that? 
somebody been in prison 25 years, God got hold of them. They are not outside the reach of God's grace. And I think we so need to remember that. Now, he's, Gil's being modest. I think the best way to help out financially would be to, to send a check to this. But Gil, that means we have to go find our checkbook and, and open it and push a pen and, and tear it off and get an envelope. You can do that. Okay. Please do, and please help out uh, in any way that you can. And I know uh, Gil well enough to know that he would like uh, just folks to come up and help and see what kind of things they do there at that thin place. Now, let me close uh, just with a couple of quotes. Uh, Deanna and I just happened to be flipping around on, on uh, the television set, and, and uh, CNN came on. And did anybody happen to see the CNN Hero Awards? It was amazing to watch. And we were watching this woman who was receiving one of the CNN Hero Awards, and her name is Umra Omar, 33 years old, uh, was born in Kenya, then came to be in the U.S., but then she saw all this tremendous medical need back in Kenya, and she's a trained physician. And so she started what's called Safari Doctors, and it's in Kenya, and and every year they give a 1,000 people health care. They help a 1,000 people every year, even in border areas that are real close to El Shabaab, which is dangerous. But she does it anyway, and and she's very young, and and I loved her quote. Uh, I think it's up there. Yeah, this is how she ended her speech, and I thought it was so good. We, you know, rewound it, and I wrote it down, and she said, marinating in comfort is not an option. Fear is not an option. With a leap of faith, we can all be the change our world screams for. I was so inspired by her and her story and especially these words. And by the way, she's a very devout Muslim. She said, it's because of my Muslim faith that I do this, you know, and I can't help but be convicted and think to myself, can we show that kind of grit and gumption ourselves as we point to the living Christ, the real source of salvation in the world? Which leads me to a final quote by Mike Slaughter in this chapter that he wrote which really kind of spurs me onward based on what this dear Muslim woman just said. He says, you are the evidence that the Messiah of God's kingdom is present with us. When everything that is broken around you is being restored, when the oppressed and captive are being set free, and when good news is being preached to the poor, Jesus' true followers are not just sitting together in religious meetings, passively waiting for his return. They are actively rebuilding, restoring, and renewing Ruined souls and cities. I just hope and pray that we don't just sit in a lump together, marinating in our comfort. I pray that because it is upcoming Jesus' birthday, that we will be the evidence of Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to fulfill your wish list here. We pray it every Sunday. May your kingdom come here as it is in heaven already. But may we realize that we are to be agents of bringing that kingdom here to this place. So motivate us to do just that. We have been talking about different means by which we can give and offer ourselves to you uh, financially and physically and spiritually as we lead up to your son's birthday. Help us to continue to move in that direction with intent, with intentionality, with passion. We pray these things in your name. Amen.